This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello and welcome. I'm Carmen Pay, your host for this podcast. If you were with us last week, you know we began a fascinating discussion of the millennial kingdom, a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth. Now, if you missed that podcast, we encourage you to go back and listen in our archive as you can find all of our previous programs there. Today, we want to continue our discussion of the millennium. So we're pleased to have back with us once again, Dr. Dave Anderson, the founder and president of Grace School of Theology. Dr. Anderson is a graduate of Rice University. He received a master's in theology from Dallas Theological Seminary and earned a Ph.D. in Greek New Testament and early Christian literature from Dallas Seminary. He's authored numerous books, including Triumph Through Trials, Portraits of Righteousness, Maximum Joy, Bewitched, and others. Welcome back. Well, thank you. And uh, Carmen, uh, we've got to take a moment here to get a synopsis on what's ahead for you. You know, many of our listeners have been praying for you. Yes. They heard you on a podcast, perhaps, about the joy that you found in the midst of your trial. And uh, I hear some, there's some good news here. Well, there is. And hopefully by uh, the time our listeners even hear this podcast, I will be in the hospital get receiving a transplant. And I, uh, Dr. Anderson, I have uh, was blessed to have three uh, potential donors, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and the match was made. And so uh, a transplant date has been scheduled. And if my health remains good, if the donor's health remains good, we're going to see that happen. And uh, then after about a two-month probably recovery process, mm-hmm. I'm hoping to be just back 100%. Wow. So the doctors uh, just hold out hope for a complete recovery. They truly do. And, and I'm so grateful for the many, many, many prayers that mm-hmm. have gone up because I do believe that's why I've kind of really gone up against the odds uh, and, and been an overcomer uh, on so many areas of this treatment so far. Mm-hmm. I do attribute it to the many prayers of, of folks praying on my behalf. So thank you so much for asking. Well, we know that uh, modern medicine has worked what we might call miracles, but uh, God is the great miracle worker, and our really ultimate source of healing is Him, isn't it? Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So grateful. He's so faithful, Mm. so faithful, and His plan is always good, always good. Well, back to our topic today. I was uh, so excited to uh, continue this discussion of the millennium. It's, It's such a deep subject. Uh, one that is so critically important, as you outlined last week, and yet one that even as believers who study the Word, we may not understand all that is involved. Uh, And when we talk about a thousand-year reign, a literal thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, where we as believers will reign with Him, and we'll be talking about that later in the program, uh, we also learn Uh, that the Bible describes it, it almost sounds like it's going to be a political kingdom. Would you describe it as such? Absolutely. It's a political kingdom. Uh, It says in uh, Psalm 2 and Psalm 110, Psalm 89, uh, Christ is going to reign from Jerusalem, 
It says his scepter will sweep out over the whole world. Mm. So, uh, of course, that's a figure of speech. But, yes. Uh, that is a political reign. Uh, and that's why the uh, Jews were looking for a political messiah, the son of David, because to David was promised dynasty, a house, mm -hmm. a kingdom that would reign forever. And so uh, that's what they were looking for, especially because, you know, they wanted to overthrow the Romans. Yes, so, yes. Uh, it would take a political power to overthrow the Romans. Well, the passages refer to uh, the revival of the Davidic kingdom, where Israel be, will be regathered. And, and, and again, I'm assuming this is talking about the millennial kingdom. Will David, he will actually be resurrected to rule? And if he rules, how does that compare with Christ's rule? Well, David won't be raised to rule. It's one of his offspring that would rule. That's why he thought Solomon would be the ruler. And, you know, Solomon turned out to be the wisest king until the end of his life. Uh, so he must have displayed some of that growing up. And David was so excited, thinking he would be the fulfillment of the promise given in 2 Samuel 7. So he wrote psalms about it. Psalm 2 is what they call a, an enthronement psalm celebrating the enthronement of Solomon. But, of course, Solomon didn't turn out to be the ideal leader, nor did he fulfill Psalm 2, mm -hmm. which says that, you know, uh, he would rule over the whole earth. Right. So uh, that is yet to come. Uh, but it's going to be through one of the offspring of David. Well, that's why they said Christ is the son of David. So they weren't looking for David to come back. They were okay. looking for one of his uh, offspring. Okay. Uh, who, who we think is Christ. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, who, who would rule, absolutely. Now, during this time, we also know that, that, according to Scripture, that Satan and his demons are going to be bound for that thousand-year period. We, we read about a time of righteousness and universal peace and a time of joy and blessing. If that being the case, and Satan and his demons are cast away, uh, what will be the source of evil that remains on earth at that time? Well, of course, people are still born. It may be the biggest population explosion the world's ever known because it would seem that the stages of the earth are symmetrical. In the first stage, only spiritual beings could live there. In the last stage, when the new Jerusalem comes down out of the third heaven to a refurbished, a recycled planet earth, only spiritual beings can live there. That's Revelation 21. Uh, Next coming in, you could live to be a thousand years, Methuselah, before the flood. Mm -hmm. And in the uh, millennium, you can live to be a thousand years old. And then right in the middle is our current stage where all creation is groaning, waiting for its redemption, the day yes. of redemption. Uh, so you seem to have these five stages, and uh, the earth would be going into a stage in which sin uh, is reduced, perhaps, um, perhaps disease is reduced. That could be one reason people... Could live longer. Right, right. Uh, some think that uh, the canopy around the earth collapsed during the flood, and that it wasn't 40 days and 40 nights of water that went over the surface of the earth, including the top of the mountains. It was mainly the vaults opening up within the oceans, but the oceans themselves uh, coming out of their place. If you take a solid object surrounded by water and suddenly shift the uh, uh, solid object to the right, 23 degrees, the water will stay in place. It won't move with it. And so the water comes out of the oceans 
even astronomers say that the uh, Earth's axis has shifted 23 degrees at some point. Mm. So anyway, uh, at, but uh, along with that, it did rain 40 days and 40 nights. Right. So we think the canopy did collapse, thus exposing people to ultraviolet rays, other things that could have uh, reduced their lifespan. So we think that in the millennial stage, it's kind of going back to that in some way, shape, or form. Uh, to where people could live longer and have this population explosion. Okay. Well, uh, every single person born is born with a sinful nature. Even during that time period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you have a population explosion of little sinners. Uh. <laughs> and sin natures uh, lead us into evil mm -hmm. and trip us into making evil choices. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that would be the main source of evil on the earth. Now, uh, you know, it's said that we have three enemies— the world, the flesh, and the devil. Mm -hmm. So I've just talked about the flesh using it in the sense of the sinful nature. Yes. There's also the world, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. So that's still there. And it's there in quite a uh, magnified form oh, it com would be, compared it? to where we are now. And uh, it's attempting to the eye and the flesh now uh, and pride of life could be even more tempting then. So that, that's where our evil comes from. Okay. All right. Well, we read that Christ will rule with a rod of iron, and those who oppose him will be destroyed. I mean, it sounds like when you read that, that there's no mercy shown during that time period. Is that a correct visual of, of what, what might be expected? No, it's not. Uh, first of all, just the opportunity to, for a sinful person to receive Christ as his Savior, to have his sin paid for by things that were done uh, at least 2,000 years ago, mm. is the greatest act of mercy anyone can ever experience. Amen. Yes. And not only would it be a great population explosion, but probably the greatest time, we'll call it evangelism, mm -hmm. uh, the world's ever seen. Because if Christ is right there in Jerusalem and you have access to him, wow. if not in person, then through our various telecommunications, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, he's, he's meeting out perfect righteousness. Why wouldn't you want to oh, uh, yes. believe in someone like that? Absolutely. So be plenty of that. The other thing is he is going to rule with righteousness, mm -hmm. where so many times our political systems are corrupt, our judges are corruptible, not all corrupt, mm -hmm. but some of them are they're, uh, you know, corruptible. Well, none of that will be there, and it will be with righteousness. And so there'll be times when the judge, I think, extends mercy no doubt. Uh, to people then. Uh, I, just, I just think his mercy endures forever, we're told mm. in the Psalms. And when he so, doesn't change. <laughs> same yesterday, today, and forever. So, yes. Yeah, his mercy is still there. Mm. And I, I appreciate that because, you know, you, sometimes I think uh, when you're not familiar with the mercies of God and the love of God, and you can read some of the scriptures that sound very harsh. And when you don't know the heart of the Savior, it's easy for your mind to go where it shouldn't and think, well, that's not very loving. That certainly is cruel. That doesn't sound like a loving God. Uh, so we do have to go back to the sacrifice he made at the beginning, don't we? You know, uh, I think it would be helpful during the millennial period. Uh, there are some special blessings really for the nation of Israel. Help us to understand that, because there are some, Dr. Anderson, who think, well, the church replaced 
Israel uh, as far as the promises of God, and uh, and yet I, I that's not what that's not what the scriptures tell us. Yeah, and uh, I'll answer that. But along the way, I want to remind me of another importance of the millennium. Yes. Uh, you remember Luther was an Augustinian monk, and remember that Augustine was the first to get rid of first Orthodox theologian to get rid of the millennium. He became ah. Mm-hmm. So uh, in his third uh, trimester of life, uh, the Germans talk about proto-Luther, deutero-Luther, and trito-Luther. And they said it might have been better if we not had trito-Luther. Because that's where he said, kill the Jews. Hmm. He said, uh, give them the gospel, and if they refuse it, then kill them. And so the gospel had been around a long time uh, after after deutero-Luther. Uh, after the second phase of his life, and in large, they hadn't received it. So he said, God has no use for them oh. because he's all millennial, right? Mm-hmm. He's an Augustinian monk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus, we said last time, promised the disciples that they would sit on 12 thrones ruling 12 tribes of Israel, Israel. during the kingdom. So he has a special place for not only those disciples, but also the Jewish people, if they uh, have thrones ruling over the tribes, there's got to be some tribes, right? <laughs> That's right, someone to rule over. He also had the 144,000 from the 12 different tribes. And so Jesus put a great importance on the Jewish people in the millennial period, but Augustine didn't, and the replacement theologians don't. They don't see any place for the Jews. So the uh, practical upshot of that was when Hitler came along, he picked up the literature from Luther and passed it out as propaganda My. and said, uh, look, Church of Germany, Lutheran Church, which is the state church of Germany, he said, uh, your progenitor, your great leader, Martin Luther, said kill the Jews. So we're just following through in what he said. It's one reason the church uh, sort of stood by and mm-hmm. watched. Now, of course, there were uh, uh, people like Bonhoeffer, who resisted, yes, yes. Uh, and, uh, and even were part of Valkyrie trying to kill Hitler and paid for it with their lives. But by and large, the clergy just watched because he's using their own uh, ammo against them, you might say. Wow. So amillennialism so, uh, uh, can have some uh, disastrous effects One, because with that, you're saying God has no special program for the Jews. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so bringing us back to the truth, <laughs> when his program, he does have a program for the Jews. It's not complete. So, so how is that his promise to the Jews, to the, to the Israel nation, fulfilled in the millennial kingdom? How is it fulfilled there? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, in Daniel, he talks about the 77s, and the last seven is designed, that's the tribulation period, designed to bring the Jews to a point of asking him to come back. That's the remnant that we talk about. And then as they go on into uh, the millennial period, they are fulfilling uh, God's, you might call it, destiny for that nation. Yes. You know, we, we read in the Old Testament about their to promise to go into the promised land. Would this, would this be their, their promised land, if you will? Well, I, I don't know that I'd, I'd in the millennial period, you mean? Yes. You could look at it that way. Uh, it says in Ezekiel 20 
that there is a judgment for the Jews. Now, at the end of Matthew 25, you have the judgment of the sheep and goats. But those are Gentiles. So in Ezekiel 20, you have the judgment for the Jews. And it pictures Jesus like a shepherd there. And to get back into the land mm -hmm. for the Jews that are still scattered, you might say, mm -hmm. outside of uh, Israel, they had to pass under the rod, meaning they had to be believers. And so just like at the judgment seat of the sheep and goats, uh, the goats go into uh, destruction, apoleon, it says. Uh, those unbelieving Jews won't be allowed under the rod into the land. So you could say the Jews are uh, collected there in Israel. Um, and I suppose that could be viewed as entering their promised land. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, you mentioned Ezekiel. Ezekiel 40 through 46 actually talks about what appears to be a temple, sacrifice of animals, uh, which uh, I've, I've read that would occur during the millennial kingdom. Is that so? And why would those be necessary? Uh, why would you need a, a temple? Why would you need a sacrifice if Christ has already paid that price and he's, he's there ruling and reigning? Well, it's just like the uh, Lord's table, Lord's Supper. Why do we do that? To remember. It's a memorial, isn't yes, it? Yes, right? yes. It's the same thing. Uh, with the sacrifices, you're memorializing what Christ did for us all those years ago, and that's the way they did it. And, uh, you know, that's probably uh, symbolic for Jews and Gentiles. The Jews especially would recognize what that's all about. Mm -hmm. Because in their sacrificial system, they were sacrificing with a view to. In other words, as yes. Hebrews says, these are a shadow of, of things to come, to come mm -hmm. uh, using it uh, well. And then uh, it's looking back. Uh, in the millennial period. So it was looking forward before the cross, looking back after the cross. Anticipation before and memorializing as they look back. And I guess that would be very critical for them to know what Christ, who is reigning, has done. Yeah, I'm obviously not for cruelty to animals, but my understanding is they would eat the meat. Yes, uh, yes. But uh, it's definitely more of a uh, pictorial way of... Uh, showing a sacrifice mm -hmm. than a little piece of bread and <laughs> Definitely. a thimble full of grape juice. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we've mentioned that during this thousand-year reign, there will be people born into uh, the kingdom uh, who will have to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, they, were, they would not be considered uh, part of the church, because that, that's a whole different group, right? And then, so if they're not part of the church, they're not part of the Jewish nation, uh, but what blessings would, would those new believers uh, benefit from in the, in the millennial kingdom? Well, I'll answer that, but let me <clears throat> just clarify what I just said about uh, uh, the Lord's table. Yes. I'm not trying to minimize that at all. That's no. what the Lord told us to do. Yes. He says, yes. do it as often as you want to. And he says, until he comes. Mm -hmm. So it's his picture he set up. I was just trying to say, at least for me, if I really witness an animal being sacrificed, mm. like a lamb, mm -hmm. uh, that might hit me harder. It might be more impactful. That, that's all I'm yeah. trying to say. Okay. Uh, so what blessings to people born in the land? Well, good gracious, uh, that'd be the place to be. Again, so sin is minimized. Mm -hmm. uh, temptations from the devil are minimized. Uh, I mean, eliminated. Um, 
And Christ is sitting right there. So you know if there's a grievance, you can get perfect righteousness. You don't have to, you know, trust yourself into uh, a system where, I mean, you think America's bad. I have a lot of missionary friends, like one in Siberia, he says he has to go put in his budget amount of money to pay the policeman as he's stopped because he says about every 30 miles he gets stopped and has to pay off a policeman before his car can go on. Wow. So, I mean... Uh, and their whole place was like in India. I once had a friend doing some business there, and uh, he went over and didn't get the order, and he got back and realized, oops, he forgot the bribe. Now, that's part of the system. Oh. So <laughs> anyway, you'd have perfect justice. Yeah. That's a blessing. That is a blessing. Yeah. That is a blessing. Uh, it's a special blessing for the women because uh, if you can live to be a 1,000 years, you know, a marriage that lasts a thousand years. How many children could you have? <laughs> That's right. You know, I'm uh, kidding. God, I know. <laughs> God may be merciful uh, and um, uh, keep the fertility years to a minimum. Or, uh, <laughs> lots of blessings in, in the millennial kingdom, no doubt about it. Now, we, you, we talk about uh, the salvation experience during that thousand years for those who do not know Christ. Is it still faith alone, Christ alone? It's still faith alone and Christ alone. Now, they may see Christ on a throne, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, and they may see his hands pierced and his feet, hands and feet pierced. But by faith, they still have to believe that a death, you know, a couple thousand years ago or more uh, was their substitute. The hardest thing in the world for an unbeliever to believe is the substitutionary death of Christ. Yes. He died in their place. So they have to go back in history and put their trust not just in the person, but in the work. Mm -hmm. So we think of the person and work of Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. as the foundation for our salvation. So that's still something they have to take by faith. And I think that's the importance of the sacrificial system, because they really can see that substitutionary Mm -hmm. death uh, as a token of what Christ did in full. That's, uh, wow. Well, we talked about the second coming of Christ a couple of weeks ago and said that Christ will return with his saints. So we know that at this point, uh, the church, his saints, will have glorified bodies. So what will our role be as believers in the millennial kingdom? You know, uh, I don't think we have enough info on that. We're, we're told that we'll reign with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we're told, and in, in, if you want to, however you want to take the parables, uh, you've been faithful over a little, I'll make you rule over many cities. Right, right. Um, you know, I think personally that's symbolic of something, some position of responsibility. Um, for example, I'm not a good administrator. If you put me over, I couldn't do one city. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of that as my for myself. I thought, well, do I would I want to rule a city? <laughs> <laughs> Not even one city. So don't put me over many. Uh, so I, I don't think there's that much revealed. I, I do think there's a, a possibility. Um, I have a, a friend who's uh, an excellent scholar. He thinks that the uh, separation of the sheep and goats, the judgment there. It talks about the uh, goats going into destruction. It talks about the sheep going into everlasting life. 
he thinks that means the sheep at that point get their glorified bodies. So who's left to populate the millennium? Mm. Children. Yes, yes. He says children, who are of the age of accountability, but uh, not of the age of accountability. Anyway, little children. So then he thinks that uh, some of the saints that come back will help raise those children. Hmm. I I don't know. You're getting in an area where you just don't have... We just don't have the answers. Right. I read uh, Randy Alcorn's book on heaven, a wonderful book, everything you've ever wanted to know about heaven and been afraid to ask. But as you read through it, he takes the verses we have, tries to build some sort of construct, and just then jumps off and and says, well, this might be, and this might be, and Mm -hmm. this... He has to speculate. No criticism at all. I think it's a great book. But it's just not much has been revealed about some of this stuff. Yeah. Of course, that's the eternal state. That's not the millennium that he's talking about. Exactly. But it's the same there. There's not a lot yes. revealed about the millennium. Yes. But we can assume that if we are going to reign with him during the millennial, that we certainly are going to have some sort of role that is uh, elevated. Is I'm not even sure if that's the correct term to use, but uh, uh, a role that is significant, maybe, I should say. Uh, during that time period, even though we may not have all the, the details of what that might look like. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, the parable of the talents, uh, a talent was a sum of money in that day. Now, we don't know what he was for sure, what he was trying to symbolize with that sum of money. But no one thinks we're talking about a sum of money. So most say, well, those are spiritual gifts. Those are spiritual opportunities. Uh, those are ministries we've been entrusted with. Uh, no one knows for sure there. However, this we do know. The parable says uh, to the unfaithful servant, it should be taken away even what he has, and mm. it should be given to the faithful ones. So that sounds like some sort of area of responsibility or service that was forfeited by the unfaithful steward or unfaithful servant wow. and uh, then given to one of the others who proved themselves Faithful. It's kind of like they say, if you want to get something done, find someone who's busy. Yes, yes. You know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, it's going to be fascinating. And uh, I know personally, I've always felt like it would be, uh, if we were good students, let's say if we were given the gift of teaching or exhortation uh, here on earth, and we were good stewards of those gifts that God had given us, that Throughout the millennium, uh, we would have opportunity to use that gift, but without the sin that we have here that uh, prohibits it in any way. But well, that's a great point, Carmen, because someone still has to teach these yes. little sinners that's who, right. who come to Christ. Yeah, yes. that's a great so point. So we'll see. We'll see. How does the life that we Christians live on earth now affect what will happen during the millennium for us. And maybe that's what we really have just been talking about. Uh, I mean, does it, I guess what I'm saying is, does it really matter how we live now? Will it affect us during that thousand-year reign? Oh, absolutely. In fact, a lot of the book of Hebrews <clears throat> is arguing that we would enter the rest. And the rest he's talking about there is the millennial period. If you look in the first chapter of Hebrews, uh, it, of the what's called the Katina of Psalm, of quotes from the Old Testament, about six out of eight of those quotes are millennial psalms. Mm. They're referencing when Christ comes back. And he talks about the fact that if we are faithful, then we become Christ's 
companions or partakers. It's translated metanoia, excuse me, not metanoia, it's uh, metakos is translated companions, quoting Psalm 140, quoting Psalm 45, which is the picture of a, uh, a feast for the best friends of the groom mm. uh, celebrating his coming marriage, kind of like the, uh, the ten virgins okay. were the best friends probably of the, uh, you know, the bride. Yes, yes. And uh, so uh, the point there again is this picture of uh, increasing intimacy mm. according to our faithfulness with him while we're on earth. In fact, you see that in uh, Revelation as you go through these overcomer passages. He says in Revelation 2 and verse 7, to him who overcomes, I will uh, give to eat from the tree of life. Well, eating was a picture of fellowship in, in John. Drinking was a picture of uh, eternal life. Uh, so eating, uh, uh, picturing fellowship, there's, there's a close fellowship there. But as you uh, keep on going, verse 17 of chapter 2 says, he has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To whom overcomes, I will give, and I mentioned this last week, some of the hidden manatee, and I will give him a white stone on the stone, a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. Well, that's even more intimate than just eating. Yes, it is. Right? Yes. For sake of time, I'll just jump uh, all the way to uh, the end here. Verse 21. Well, I think I'll do the one just before that, just so you can see what's happening here. This is Revelation 3.12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will go out no more. Hmm, what's that? And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven. So that's while they're on uh, in the millennium. He writes the name of the new Jerusalem. Then on the last one, uh, in Revelation chapter uh, 3 and verse 21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Wow. Kyle Bunga. <laughs> yeah. Even as I overcame and sat down with my father uh -huh. on his throne. So if you follow that, there's a progression going on of growing intimacy with Christ. Yes. It's a beautiful picture, actually. But as he references the overcomer, just to, how would you, how do we know if we're an overcomer? Well, there are branches of theology that say every Christian is an overcomer. Well, that's true, because it says in 1 John 5, 4, that you overcome the world. How do you overcome the world? You overcome the world through your faith. Mm -hmm. So in this passage, uh, if you're just a believer, let's see, verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that it's overcome the world, our faith, all right? See, when you talk about the overcomer, you have to say, well, what are they overcoming? And in 1 John 5, they're overcoming the world and his system. And he says you do that by faith. But when you get to Revelation, the overcomer uh, is, each church is uh, characterized by a problem they were having. Yes, the seven churches. Yeah, yeah, uh, except one. And uh, the overcomer is... Uh, Overcoming that problem. Mm -hmm. um, the Greek word for um, overcoming, we have an, uh, a use of that in, uh, in the English world. Do you happen to know what that is? It, no. It's the word Nike. 
Oh. Uh, that is the Greek word for overcome, overcomer. Okay. Uh, so this is the verb form here, uh, but uh, used as a, well, a substantive, the overcomer. Okay. So, so it would be those that are abiding, pressing forward to stay close, to seek him, to know him more, to love him more, to serve him more. Till, till he takes you home? Would that be? Right. I, uh-huh. I forgot to answer that part of your question. I would say from Romans 8, it's the person walking according to the Spirit. Okay. You know, it's interesting in uh, Galatians 5 and Romans 8, which are our two biggest victory chapters in the Christian life, victory, mm-hmm. nikao, overcomer. Uh, it talks about walking by the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, yes. being led by the Spirit, walking according or being according to the Spirit. And if you're walking according to the Spirit, Romans 8 says, that's life and peace. Mm -hmm. If you're walking according to the flesh, that's death. And he's not talking about spiritual death there. He's not talking about non-Christians in that passage. It's the same as he says of the widow in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, when it says if she lives for pleasure, she's dead even though she lives. Mm -hmm. So... It's what I call the living death. It's a depression, defeat, uh, discouragement that comes from uh, walking according to the flesh. Okay. So that abundant life, which comes by uh, walking with the Spirit, allowing Him to lead and guide us each and every moment, uh, helps us to become the overcomers uh, so that we can uh, have that intimate level with Jesus Christ in the millennial kingdom and in eternity. Yeah, in short, it's letting Christ live his life through you. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ, Christ in me. lives in me. me. Mm-hmm. And if the hardest thing in the world for a non-Christian to believe is the substitutionary death of Christ, then the hardest thing in the world for a believer to believe is the substitutionary life, life of Christ. Christ. Absolutely. We try to do it ourselves. That's Romans 7. Yes. He says you can't do it. Mm. So the Spirit has to do it in us. Wow. Well, this has been so helpful, Dr. Anderson. And as you know, we haven't reached the end of the story. (laughs) We know that after a thousand years, Satan's going to be released. He's going to deceive the nations again. There will be a great battle take place. Uh, His doom will be final. Heaven and earth will be destroyed. But even that is not the end of the story. And so we'd love to have you back to talk about the best uh, just to come. And that's our eternal state. And hope you'll be able to to join us for that. Awesome. All right. Excellent. Well, our guest today has been Dr. Dave Anderson. We hope today's topic has stirred your interest to get into God's Word and learn more about God's purpose and His eternal plan for mankind. We encourage you to check out the many courses offered through Grace School of Theology that will help you to grow in your knowledge and your love for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please share our podcast with others. And your feedback is always welcome. Send us comments, questions, make suggestions for program topics by email at savinggrace@gsot.edu or Twitter. Our handle is at SavingGraceCast. So glad you tuned in today. Remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and it can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash saving grace. Views expressed on this podcast 
may not always be the views of Great School of Theology or its leadership. 